and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Mitchell Wolf. Oh, it's my friend Mitchell. Mitchell's here. Mitchell, hi. Hi. Hey, hi. Hey, Heil. How have you been? I'm so happy to be here. Yeah? I are, really am. Are you really happy to be here? Because I don't think any of my co-hosts are ever really happy to be here. Well, you know what? It, I've, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about this little podcast I used to do called The Conversation from time to time. Uh-huh. And I was thinking... What's that kid Heil still up to? Is he is he doing it? I check, and of course you're still pumping him out. I gotta get back in. I gotta get back in there, I says to myself. I says it. And now I'm here. Well, welcome. I'm glad. I'm glad. I missed you. I missed you too. I yeah. really did. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's I was just thinking, well, you know, you know who I haven't heard uh, the sweet sundry vocals of for quite a while? Mitchell Wolf. And granted, I could listen to your podcast if I wanted to get a hit, but <laughs> well, well, let's not let's not do anything drastic. <laughs> no, you actually you came to me for this episode. You said, "Hey, hi, I've got I've got a great idea for a conversation blockbuster video." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, we haven't done that episode. <laughs> well, let's do it." But <laughs> I think is that the criteria yeah, for if you yeah. do a con- you just haven't done one yet? Oh well, and it's. Actually, uh, territory that we've touched upon time and time again here in the nearly 10-year history of the conversation, but we've never actually delved into it for a full episode. And then I had some fears, and talking with you five minutes before we started doing this, you had the exact same fears as me. People would think we're doing this episode because of the new Netflix sitcom starring Randall Park called Blockbuster. And I just want to express to you, Mitchell, and to everybody listening, I can assure you that played no factor in this. That show sucks. That show really sucks. I watched four episodes of it because I kind of couldn't believe it. Yeah, no, I so I watched the first episode because my sister Peyton was around and she said, hey, Mitchell you're you're old and like okay <laughs> but uh you, you should you should check out this new uh netflix has a blockbuster show and i had known that it was coming out for a while but i didn't know it had already come out so we sat down we watched one episode now I, I i was disappointed <laughs> uh i think the premise is a great premise for a sitcom i think randall park and jb smooth are usually great yeah uh but uh that's that show did nothing and i had to watch three more episodes just to like check just to just to really be <laughs> sure about it just to make sure that the body was indeed cold i think that it's depressing to me the state of the sitcom after we we had this sort of renaissance around the new golden era of tv this peak tv era we found ourselves in i guess started with the sopranos and kind of snowballed escalated throughout the last two decades but you know sure. we, we had this high point of comedy with things like arrested development the office uh, parks and rec uh, down to the good place which is the most recent one that uh, maybe fits that criteria I, i'm sure i'm missing a couple but it feels like tv sitcoms have devolved into schlock again and and it's a little bit disappointing to me because uh i don't know i i enjoyed the um the, the more sophisticated fare that was being uh, presented on things like nbc and now it's all just uh crap again 
and I sound old. I'm complaining about TV, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, well, we're about to do an episode about Blockbuster Video, so we're both going to sound pretty old on this episode. That, I, mean, I mean, I not to linger too much on the sitcom thing, which is not what this episode is <laughs> no, about. No, but uh, I. I think a lot about community, and I think a lot yeah. about uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, which is still going. Which it's is, always, yeah, that's yeah. still on. So that that and, and that show has not, to my discernment, taken a quality dive. That show is still pretty great. Um, but like those are shows by showrunners who wanted to do something very specific mm-hmm. with the medium, yeah. like the Michael Schur shows with The Office and Good Place, and Dan Harmon with Community. And uh, Mitchell Hurwitz with Arrested Development. I don't. I don't really feel like there's that kind of very specific creator intent movement in television right now anymore. I'm not getting a lot of it. No, and I, I think a large part of that is just how the media landscape has changed with all of the streaming services popping up and. Everybody's looking for content, but the content you want is what's going to bring uh, butts to the seats like Star Wars and Marvel and is, is a part of a franchise. And so uh, a sitcom is it, comedy in general is really just struggling right now. I mean, there, there's no big budget Hollywood comedies being produced and it's just it's just hard to get a, a foot in the door. So. Anyway, yeah. this is me, the the comedy writer who long ago gave up any Hollywood aspirations whining about where Hollywood ended up going with it. But as a comedy, as a comedy writer and former television writer, do you ever get older relatives of you telling you that, Oh, you should really check out TikTok. You should really type <laughs> TikTok. No, no, I, 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 I would get relatives who are like, Oh, you ever see the big bang theory? I love that show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, and then rough. people near my own age would always be like, Hey, you, sh- you like family guy, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. As a game designer, I get that a lot about, uh, Oh dude, I just played call of duty. Like, okay, great. Cool. Yeah. That's good for you, man. I, I have those conversations too when people know what I do now and, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you play the new Call of Duty or you play the new Madden. And I'm like, I have nowhere to take this conversation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, have you played Sea of Thieves? Oh no, I, I, uh, I don't have friends. All right, well, we're done. So uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Social interactions are awkward. Uh, They're tough. They can be hard. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're, we're both sitting here in our little hidey hole talking about the era of blockbuster video on this episode game rentals specifically we're not really talking about renting true lies or independence day or jurassic park here we're we're talking about going into a blockbuster video or a similar rental store of the era and renting video games how can you spin an entire podcast episode about that trust us we'll figure it out but first I want to give two quick plugs. Plug the first. The DK Vine hotline is always open for your calls and comments. You can just dial 1-202-630-VINE. That is 8463. Night or day, 24 hours across the clock. You can call. Leave your little thoughts for me and the rest of the conversation host. And, uh, you know, we, we might play them on the air. If it's related to the topic at hand, we definitely will 
played on the air. And in fact, we're going to take a call in just a moment. But Mitchell, before we get to that, I mentioned your podcast, and I was a little bit dismissive of it in a jocular manner. I really do want you to plug it, though. It's called Telling the Tale. It's okay. Jocks are always dismissing my podcast. Uh, But uh, Telling the Tale is a telltale podcast in which we go through play and cover in a review sort of way every week, every episode of every telltale game that was released while that company was active from 2004 to 2018. Uh, We are currently in the middle of covering Tales from the Borderlands, which is something that I personally did not think I would be into and have uh, been pretty into. And I think I'm doing it with Dustin Jackson, also a a, a sometimes host of the conversation. So you might have heard of him, listener. And uh, he's also liking Tales from the Borderlands in a similarly kind of surprising way. So, uh, yeah, you could check us out. I won't tell you to do so, but you could. I assume it's available on all major podcast networks. Anywhere you're listening to The Conversation, you can also listen to Telling the Tale. And if you like Conversation co-hosts and you want to hear them talk about something that isn't related to this nonsense, yeah, sounds like a good deal to me. It's free. It's as free as deals get. (laughs) Speaking of Conversation co-hosts, I want to give a shout out to Jeff, who's lurking in our live stream chat right now, which is available to $5 and up DK Vine patrons. Check it out. Check it out at patreon.com forward slash DK Vine. Jeff and Ray Day are in there. Jeff has a lot to say. Says Jeff says, it has been zero episodes since Heil said whole. And I don't know how accurate that is because I don't keep a tally for that. Yeah, Jeff made a pretty choice <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer joke earlier in the chat. And, uh, I, you know... We're going to check in with the live stream as we go, Uh, but but Jeff is on another level tonight, so I don't know if we can actually keep up with him. Well, Heil, what do you think of Blockbuster? Well, before you hear what I have to say, why don't we take that aforementioned call that I got about Blockbuster? Oh, sure. Yeah, let's let's play it. Hey, DK Vine, I hear you're doing a nice, nostalgic episode about Blockbuster game rentals. Uh, well, I just thought I'd contribute my, my one blockbuster game rental story, which was when, uh, you know, I had Banjo-Kazooie, Diddy Kong Racing, we're, and uh, Banjo-Tooie growing up. My dad knew that Rare made the best games, and he, he knew I loved them. And you know, we were waiting for the next big Rare thing, and lo and behold, 2001 rolls around, and Conker's Bad Fur Day comes out. And he, uh, we're in the Blockbuster looking at the game rentals and I grab or he grabs, I don't know. We, we, we end up bringing the Conqueror's Bad Fur Day to the rental counter and the, uh, the store clerk. I'm, I'm like maybe eight, eight years old at this point. <laughs> and, uh, well, let's see, I was born in 92, so 11. And so the, the store clerk just looks and is like, yeah. I don't think you're going to want to rent that for your kiddo. My dad's like, oh. It's like, yeah. Rated M. Uh, 17 and older. We just kind of looked at each other like, oh, but it, it's a squirrel. Like, <laughs> we, we were very perplexed. So any, anyway, we didn't end up renting it. 
think we ended up renting, uh, like the Rugrats game, which was actually <laughs> pretty cool. I remember it being kind of good. Um, but anyway, that's my, that's my story. I did finally play Conquer's Bad Fur Day years later, um, in high school. And, uh, I'm glad I waited. Because I would have been scarred for life. That's all I have to say about that. Anyway, happy blockbustering, DK Vine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the call there. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds awkward. Uh, that's that's one of those awkward situations that you, you would always have with uh, parents or guardians when you're around that, that certain age when you you were bombarded with things you knew you weren't supposed to see and um you you just felt deep shame towards um towards society for putting you in that position but yeah i i like that but it's a squirrel line is uh is a keeper i'm going to remember that mm-hmm. one so uh, and Rugrats game, I, I don't I don't know how that one would stack up next to Conquer. I haven't played it. Myself. I I probably provided it is also an N sixty four game. I probably played that Rugrats game. Really? And I remember actually thinking the same thing. It it was pretty all right. <laughs> I believe there are two, and one of them is like a Mario Party. Yeah, I remember thing. the Mario Party one. I, mean, I don't personally remember. Like I didn't play it, but I remember it being a thing at the time. But um, that's all you got to do. Yeah, it's Rugrats. So thank you for the call. Seeing this is this is a blockbuster episode, though, uh, you know, blockbuster on their VHS cases and on the game cases because they would share cases. They they would have the tagline, at least in the early to mid 90s. Please be kind. Rewind. They wanted you to rewind your tapes at home because, you know, they they didn't want to have to rewind there. It eats up valuable hours of payroll to rewind all the tapes so you know please be kind to rewind so i'm going to rewind this call before we return it just uh this is this is a bit i've committed to i'm re- rewinding the the call are you done no it's still still going hold on okay all right Takes takes a while. It's in one of those little car rewinders, yeah. you know, shaped like a car. Oh, yeah. All right, it's done. All right. <laughs> she, wait, shaped like a car? Yeah, you, you didn't you didn't see those? You could order them through Sky Mall. They were they were shaped like uh, sports cars or like a. Uh, I'm not sure. I had one of those, I'm like Mini sure. Coopers or something. You you would put the VHS tape in the little car slot, press it down, and rewind it. Now, granted, most VCRs of the era could also rewind so why this was a separate thing was completely beyond me but uh yeah i i had friends who had them do you think it was faster no okay (laughs) certainly less convenient because you had to take it out of your vcr and then put it in this car shaped rewinder and all it did was rewind a tape and it's just taking up valuable shelf space in your home yeah yeah, you know, there were a lot of little rituals and little gizmos mm-hmm. built completely around the presumed permanence of the VHS tape. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of why we're doing this episode. It, a bit of it is nostalgia, but it's also just an entire aspect of culture that we don't have anymore. Now, hold on. I, 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 I've got there were ca- people. 
I've got Cameron and Jeff both backing me up on the car rewinder thing. They both had them. I believe it. I, I'm not unbelieving of it. I just didn't have one. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think of when I think of car rewinder. If you can Google it right now, Mitchell. You could probably you know, find when one they on needed eBay. a car rewinder is is Ferris Bueller. Hey, yeah, that that's true because of that yeah, scene in the movie. You could rewind rent, the car. You could also rent Ferris Bueller at Blockbuster, so it all ties together. <laughs> this is the cleanest episode we've done so far. <laughs> no, but you 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 pitched this episode to me, and I thought this is actually relevant even if it we don't really get into the weeds of the donkey kong universe or rare as we often do this still broadly relates because of how instrumental blockbuster video or similar outlets at the time were to the culture of video gaming if you were Mm -hmm. a child of the 1990s or early to mid 2000s this this was a huge center piece of everything in in our lives when it related to gaming so yeah it it was it was a huge deal and it it was a huge deal that really wasn't replaced by anything yeah for games for movies it was uh for movies the advent of streaming services and uh on-demand video just that kind of made sense you can. I'm still nostalgic for the movie part of Blockbuster, but the game part really didn't have any kind of replacement because it was so cheap to try basically every major release of the year at Blockbuster that um, when you talk to people who grew up during the Super Nintendo era about Super Nintendo games, I think younger people would be surprised that they're they they played most of them. They played like yeah. most of the big ones people would know. You absolutely will not have played most of the major Switch releases. And that's right? true. Because like, they all cost $60 and you're not getting around it. And yeah, and, and while there are equivalencies available, you know, for if you're an Xbox or a PlayStation gamer, you know, you, you can you might be able to try out a game on, on Game Pass or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's not really that for Nintendo, is there? Well, yeah, and then even with Game Pass, that's true now, but Game Pass started in 2018. Mm-hmm. That's like a full decade between Game Pass and like the end of video rental shops. Yeah. And- uh, so there, there's a large period of time in which there wasn't an especially affordable way to play most games. Used games were like the closest thing, but... GameStop had become such a different beast than it once was that used games was now that's kind of a different tainted idea as well. Right. And you just weren't getting cheap games. So you weren't playing nearly as much as you were. No. Back in the day. And as much as, you know, I'm occasionally feeling the guilt for not ever playing anything, you know, beyond DK Vine's purview. It is hard. It, it's harder to do it now on the cheap, you know, unless you're just all about games, just games, 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 and you don't really have any other financial commitments. But, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's not really the case for most people. And I don't know what kids do these days, the, the kids today, because like this episode is all from the perspective of a child. Because this is what we did as kids. We went to our the video rental places 
and we tried out games. So I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the little six-year-olds are doing now. I don't want to know. But, you know, I, I feel for them a little bit because how are they going to try the wide assortment yeah. of games that we got to try? Unless, you know, they, they have a huge network of friends who all have different games and they, they play them that way. But I don't mm-hmm. know. Do kids even have friends anymore? I don't, I don't know how things work. No, they have surfs. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of this this YouTuber named Tim Rogers who uh, reviews games. And in his review, I believe, of Pac-Man, uh, he told a story about how during the NES era, his mom would pick him and his brother up from school, and his mom would always have rented something from the local rental shop um, for NES for them. And it was always such a crapshoot of whether it was a good game or not, because she didn't really have that much of a basis for knowing what was up with games. And the rental shop was before she got to the school to pick them up. So she was just going in on her own saying, I don't know, maybe this. And he was talking about like, if he didn't have that experience where every Friday there would be some weird NES game that he had to pretend to like for a weekend. (laughs) Um, he would probably be at least in terms of which games he's played and what he he knows about games, he would be a less cultured individual. Mm. Um, whether that's good or bad, who's to say, I don't know, but it does shape a person. It It does. does, uh, give you more insight into what's going on at the time. And yeah, and I think this is a pretty universal feeling. I mean, granted how we interacted with these chains, with these outlets, varied from person to person not every experience is universal but you know blockbuster itself we're, we're using that as kind of shorthand but i think by and large it's how most people would have rented games because blockbuster was an american corporation but they did have outlets worldwide throughout several dozen countries and if you didn't have a country with blockbuster you probably had an equivalent chain or a local rental shop that much of this episode would feel applicable to. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, but I, you know, by the mid 1990s, the term blockbuster, it was more ubiquitous with the rental chain than the actual origins of the word, which referred to a very successful motion picture. And did you know, Mitchell, in preparation for this episode, I did some research because I was like, well, the term blockbuster was probably coined because people would line up around the block to see a movie like they did with Jaws and Star Wars. And, you know, that whole dawn of the era of the blockbuster in the mid to late 70s. I thought, yeah, it's because it busted the block with people, right? That's that's what you think. Actually, no, that is not where the term originated from. It actually originated from a World War II era aerial bomb that would flatten an entire block of buildings. And it was then somehow applied to the movies of that era, circa 1943-1944. Uh, they, they would, you know, announce a movie as, this is the equivalent to a blockbuster. It will flatten your world. Which I feel That's is kind weird. of tasteless. Yeah, it's, it, but it's it's very weird. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. I I I wouldn't be making this up. Uh, so I, I I just find that then this rental chain that everybody knows about that there's now this very hacky Netflix sitcom about uh, actually mm-hmm. referred to the Nazis uh, blitzkrieging 
<laughs> London. I don't know. It's weird to me. Yeah, it, it, we also use the word megaton a lot of the time to refer yeah. to a big announcement or a big release of a video game or something. Uh, and megaton is also a unit of force measured that's used to measure uh, like bombs explosive power so there's something we really want to think of movies as bombs <laughs> we we say that a movie bombs when it does bad there's a lot of th- that going on i don't i don't know what to make of any of it yeah it, it it's odd that the um the terms blockbuster and bomb are antonyms when really they've been derived from the same thing but yeah it, like it It'd be like if Spider-Man, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie came out in 2002 and they'd be like equating it with 9-11. <laughs> yeah, they would not have thought it's too soon. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's all right. Blockbuster. Sure. I, 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 I like the more innocent origins that you just assume it would mean. Yeah, that was my assumption yeah. as well. It was just it had people lining up. But we're all lining up a blockbuster in in the 90s and uh, early to mid-2000s. Lining up, if you're an adult, to rent the newest movie because it was just the, the easiest, most affordable way to experience a movie. Granted, if you saw a movie in the theater and you really, really liked it, that would be an investment. You would then go to your local department store and buy it on yeah. VHS or DVD when it came out. But a lot of the times... It's a movie you didn't see in theaters or, you know, I don't know. But you were just like, oh, that's now out on video. You know, back when things were just out on video. Oh, it's out on video. Let's go to the video store and rent it on video. And so you, you, your parents would rent it for the weekend. And then you would be off in the corner in the video game section looking at what NES or SNES or Genesis titles or N64 and so on uh, that that you might want to partake in that weekend. And it was such a, I think, a universal part of the childhood experience of gaming of that era that it's wild to me that Nintendo actually tried to prevent Blockbuster from selling or from renting their games uh there was a 1989 court case nintendo of american incorporated versus blockbuster llc and it was actually nintendo suing blockbuster over blockbuster reproducing their manuals and um so i was like wait what that's what it was over i thought nintendo didn't want blockbuster to rent their games at all and it was just over something as innocuous as blockbuster photocopying nintendo manuals and including it with game cases what and so i looked into this and yeah so when the nes came to the americas in 1985 that was the very year blockbuster opened its first store so the two kind of grew up in American culture alongside each other. They're fundamentally linked, and soon NES games became a small but integral part of Blockbuster's aggressive expansion across the U.S. There was a new Blockbuster store opening every 24 hours by the late 1980s. That's how fast Blockbuster expanded. But Nintendo... 
didn't like Blockbuster and smaller chains and locally owned rental shops renting their games because they thought that was going to just cut into their profit margin. And I could see their point because... From, it probably did, yeah. Yeah, from their perspective, Blockbuster only has to buy this copy once and then they're renting it out to all of the neighborhood hooligans and Nintendo's not getting any profit off of that. Hey, not fair. Crying foul here. But... There was a legal loophole for this, for computer software to be rented. Um, the Copyright Act overlooked it, and it was all above board at the time. Now, the Software Publishers Association opted to lobby Congress to end the rental of all computer software, which would have included video games. However, the lobbyist for chains like Blockbuster, the Video Software Dealers Association, they threatened retaliation because video games were essential to uh, essential to their lifeblood. And so they threatened that they would derail any law that included video games. So basically what happened is future Nintendo frenemy Microsoft wanted to protect their PC software above all else. So they decided to cut Nintendo out of the negotiations in order for their own interest to be fulfilled. So Nintendo had no recourse at that point. They were excluded from the new law. And so they sued Blockbuster in 1989 for this piddly little reason because they were reproducing their manuals. It was ultimately settled very quickly where Blockbuster decided they would just buy extra legitimate manuals to put in the game cases if they eventually lost the originals. So that's a little history lesson for you, Mitchell. Cool. I did not know this. Yeah. And it's just funny to me because, yeah, Nintendo's fears at the time in the context of them still being a relatively untested thing in the marketplace. I mean, a lot of people probably thought Nintendo was just a fad like Atari uh, several years before. But Nintendo's fears were ultimately unfounded because I think Blockbuster turned out to be instrumental in providing the fieldwork necessary to convince skeptical boomer parents to invest the money in a video game. Now, I don't know if you uh, indulged in this ritual at all, Mitchell, but this was basically down to a science for me and my friends. So, step number one. You would rent a new game from Blockbuster. If there's a new game out that caught your eye, either through commercials or just being up your alley... You knew you just couldn't go to your parents and say, hey, I want this game for uh, for my birthday or, or for the holidays. Because they would be like, well, that's a lot of money. That's that's you've never even played it. How do you know you're going to like it? What if you don't like it? So mm-hmm. first you would rent the game from Blockbuster and that would prove to your parental guardian that you enjoyed it. If you really, really wanted the game, you would also play it up. You, you would, yeah. you, would uh, you know, make it an all-consuming passion. It would be all you would talk about. You would show it off to your parents as much as possible. You would run to the next room, drag them in there and say, look at this. Isn't this the greatest thing you've ever seen? And they would, you know, indulge you. But if you spend a weekend with it and legitimately have a great time, you might even ask to rent it again the very next weekend or at least once more within a month. I would say the month would be the cutoff because if you wait longer than a month, your point is not going to be made. They will forget. You you had to get this yeah, in within yeah. a few weeks. I mean, my, my parents would not remember if uh, just by name, like, D- did you rent this before? It's lost a time. 
There, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. I've when it comes to video games, uh, they absolutely had no tolerance for proper nouns. They would not learn them. Yeah, I like I said, my my parents were boomers, and while it's odd how they would get excited over video games, like when the uh, like old wood paneled Atari came out. They got it. They played it as much as I did. When the uh, they were introduced to the NES, my mom ran out the next day to buy one. Uh, but it would just be this passing thing for them. They would lose interest eventually. But, you know, you, you went through this and it, it was just this way of basically being a proof of concept that you would enjoy this financial investment. So then... When your birthday or a major holiday would be creeping up, or maybe you would even inquire about doing extra work around the house to earn money for it to really sell how badly you wanted this game, there would be no skepticism. There would be no argument. They would know Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be a waste of money. It would be a done deal. All you had to do was get to the appropriate event, and the game would be yours. And that was all thanks to Blockbuster or the equivalent rental outlet. Yeah, I I definitely did a a version of this stunt uh, time and time again. Do you have anything in memory of a game that you rented probably more than once, probably multiple times? Oh, yeah. From Blockbuster or a place like that and then never bought, but you would always like go back to rent. Oh, I want to rent that again. I, I, I have to keep up my my playing of this. But for some reason, it just never made the cross into buying the game for you? So this is a bit of a cheat. Um, Street Fighter 2 was a game uh, I rented probably more than a half a dozen times. And I say it's a cheat because eventually what I got was Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition. So, uh, technically accurate, but uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, probably... Outside of that is fighting a lot of fighting games because fighting games would never really be something I I would really buy into. I remember Clay Fighter was one I rented more than once, but never. It's owned. interesting that you say that because I associate Clay Fighter so strongly with Blockbuster. Well, like way more than any other game of the time. And I never even rented it. Not once. That's probably uh, be- that's that's probably because the N sixty four Clay Fighter, which I believe was Clay Fighter, was it sixty three and one third or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had a blockbuster exclusive edition of that game mm. that you could not buy. You could only rent. I think it had exclusive fighters in it. I don't know if that's the one with Earthworm Jim in it, but that may be why you have such high associations of Clay Fighter. That makes sense. I th- there was there's one like sort of powerful blockbuster memory. Uh, Most of my video rental dealings are in a store called the Video Superstore, or perhaps Super Video Store, or even <laughs> maybe Super Video Rental Shop. Something I believe Super was involved, um, but the the name has been lost to the annals of my memory. Uh, but occasionally we would go down to the actual blockbuster for I don't know what reason, but we just would sometimes. And uh, they had more games than my local one, the the super one, but they both had games. And I would see this giant poster they had for Jack Frost, the scary 
snowman movie mm-hmm. um and also clay fighter which had a, a scary snowman in it right uh oh b- by the way right now <laughs> the democrats have won the senate oh <laughs> <laughs> well that happened right now <laughs> i you know that that trends well for uh, bad mr frosty the scary snowman from clay fighter who is a registered democrat wow yeah good for him it all comes together uh yeah so i for a little while i did associate blockbuster with just like oh yeah that's where the scary snowmen are <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's like their thing <laughs> yeah my my video rental shop doesn't have this nonsense <laughs> <laughs> well yeah they're so- less seasonally themed I uh, really quick. I want to give a plug to my childhood competition of Blockbuster. Blockbuster is where I usually went every Friday evening, um, and and maybe you know in in the summer, like in the middle of the week, because whatever it's summer. But the the biggest competition for me in my hometown was a few blocks down from Blockbuster, a block that hadn't been leveled by a bomb, by the way. And it was actually, weirdly enough, a fireplace store, a a store that specialized in selling fireplaces called Acme, Acme Fireplace Company. That's made up. No, it's real. (laughs) It's real. I swear to God, it's real. Uh, But Acme Fireplaces ran a side hustle because they turned about half of their showroom into a VHS and video game rental outlet. It was the times, Mitchell. If if you needed an extra money to turn a profit, be it a fireplace store or uh, a convenience store, everybody was renting shit. And it was a good way to turn a dime. But if I'm honest with you, Mitchell, sometimes Acme Fireplaces and Video had a better selection than Blockbuster. At the very least, like, you would go in there when Blockbuster was out of something, and you're pretty guaranteed that they would still have it in stock. The the coolest thing about this era of affordable game playing was that every unit of Blockbuster or any other comparable video rental shop um, didn't necessarily have all the same stuff. There were a few things, like Clay Fighter, that apparently just exists in every blockbuster but uh for the most part your town's video rental shop has a a different skew of products Mm. than the neighboring towns i i was reading this game facts post back in the day it stuck with me uh of someone who insists that so you know earthbound didn't sell very well (laughs) in the 90s i've heard of it yeah people uh people now like Earthbound a lot, but it was a slow burn of knowing even like what it is. Uh, but there's this person that says uh, on GameFAQs, oh yeah, everyone in my town played Earthbound. And people were talking to him about this, like, really, in the 90s, everyone in your town played Earthbound? That's that's kind of wild. That's, a, that's not a very common thing. And he goes, yeah, we just had a blockbuster that for whatever reason, they decided to buy four copies of Earthbound. (laughs) So they just, there's this one town somewhere in the middle of America that has an entire populace of like, yeah, they got really into Earthbound. And he was explaining that 
like parents watched it and at least from his perspective i don't know how accurate this is of course uh but parents like watch their kids play it and they, they realize oh there's something like this is sort of interesting uh and now those people are gr- grown up and there's just a town somewhere that they all played earthbound that doesn't happen anywhere even a lot of the people who love earthbound today secretly did not play earthbound and are just kind of saying they loved earthbound <laughs> yeah which you know sometimes we you have to do that in order to fit in i'm not trying to throw anyone <laughs> under the bus but um earthbound is a great game and if your blockbuster had four of something you're going to be able to play it right yeah so so like that's a, a very interesting locational thing that uh like if you're saying that game pass is replacing it now it's like yeah kind of but my game pass is exactly the same as your game pass yeah um there's no town in the midwest (laughs) that like they're all getting really into crackdown (laughs) three there's no there's no uh equivalent of that in the modern world you know people are always getting on me heil russell from off of dk vine to play the mario rpg games be it the paper marios or, or the mario and luigi's and the one mario rpg that i have played is super mario rpg and you know why i played it mitchell probably because it was at blockbuster it was at blockbuster and it, it was a day in like spring of 1996 and uh i rented super mario rpg there there was this ritual right the the ritual of going to a blockbuster video on a friday evening after school was out for the weekend and your parental guardian got off of work and you would go maybe as a family maybe it's just you and a parent uh maybe with your friend's family if you were staying the night at your friend's house but you would go to a blockbuster to select that weekend's entertainment because you know Yes, you you would have maybe cable and, and local TV and, and sports and whatever video games or VHS or DVDs you would own. But you would want to pick something out just for that weekend. A little one-night mm-hmm. stand, if you will, of, of a new experience, a new flavor in your life. And it would be something your whole family could get into because while you or your friends would be or, or your siblings even were... With the video games, your parents would be selecting the movie, and you would be vaguely interested in what movie your family would be renting, or maybe movies, plural, you know, because that might relate to you in some way. But uh, but but you were you were more focused on the video games because that was yours, that was your thing. It it wouldn't even necessarily involve your parents, despite the hustle of, ma- of maybe selling them on this thing. And you know, I I distinctly remember the thrill. And this is something that Game Pass can't replicate because going into a physical location with the walls lined with these cases and looking behind the 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 case to see if they had copies in stock and and getting that white blockbuster case in your hand with the 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 game rattling around on the inside of it and it would just be this uh this nice chonky feeling in your hand and the smell mitchell the smell of blockbuster do you remember what blockbuster smelled like yeah the air was sticky which i don't know how that works but it was and uh had a very particular smell uh a lot of 
Well, okay. So there, there's two kinds of blockbuster smells, I would argue. Okay. Um, and, and I know that uh, at, at this point, a very small percentage of the chat has the ability to smell so this might be an entirely oh jeff i'm sorry jeff i'm i'm so sorry this isn't meant to single you out look we're we're gonna try to describe well no because i was just gonna compare it to other smells so that won't do jeff any good well one one of the types of blockbusters smells is the linoleum tile blockbuster okay um which is cleaning product yes sticky yes yes so Uh, i'm glad you brought this up first so i'm not the crazy one melted jolly rancher but also it's clean okay so i would describe it as you know the smell of a doctor's office oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah okay so blockbuster to me because it, it was a mix of cleaning product and and a very uniform product that they're selling but a lot of plastic it was mm-hmm. always this weird hybrid of sterile medical environment, may- maybe a public school, uh, meets yeah. meets toy store, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there there would be this this sense of sterility, this sense of um, like um, almost like a stifling blandness meets the thrill of adventure of excitement it would be two contrasting smells going into both nostrils simultaneously and i've never experienced anything outside of blockbuster like that well the the second type of blockbuster is the carpeted blockbuster yes and that that has a similarly strange but uniquely different smell where it it's just like dust incarnate Dust has taken a new form in the <laughs> blockbuster with carpets. Uh, it, it's becoming more aggressive, and it's becoming a bit more all-encompassing. Uh, all-encompassing, still a little sticky. Yeah, I'd say, but also maybe like it's burning a little bit, <laughs> and it's not. It's just carpet. Mm-hmm. It's just carpet with a with a sterile, non-smelly product. You don't get the DVDs and smell them and then think, hmm anything (laughs) dvds don't (laughs) tend to smell like much no but for some reason if you put a bunch of them in a herd yeah they they start acting uh differently it's funny because i don't think i've ever been in a blockbuster in the dvd era like i stopped setting foot in blockbuster probably around 98 or so oh and so maybe they were starting to have dvds then but by the time i had a dvd player and I was buying DVDs, it, it got to the point where I had enough disposable income that I would just buy what I wanted. And I didn't have a Blockbuster membership because that was my parents. So when I was starting to drive around myself, I wouldn't go to Blockbuster. So it, it just, it, yeah, it just never synced up with me that I associate Blockbuster with DVDs. Uh, yeah, I I've definitely was going to video rental shops throughout the shift from uh, tape to DVD. And in my, from my perspective, it was just very natural. It didn't seem like a modality shift at all. It was like, oh yeah, we, we probably have access to a VHS and eventually a DVD player at the same time. We can just get whatever. Um, but I imagine that for a lot of people, because tape was the dominant force for like 30 years, uh, 
yeah having to switch over was probably a huge shock it it was i i don't think p- people who are younger who weren't around for the VHS era can really reconcile how all encompassing and the the permanence that it felt like it would have once Betamax was etched. I don't remember Betamax, right? Like I, I'm too yo- too young for Betamax. I know of Betamax, but I wasn't around for Betamax. Knowing Betamax was a thing, videos were just VHS tapes to be. That was just the format. There was nothing else. Um, I, I vaguely knew of Laserdisc, which I associated as something weird that maybe scientists would use in a laboratory. Like, I, I didn't really know what Laserdisc was. And, you know, occasionally I would see a Laserdisc and I'd be like, who the hell has a Laserdisc player? Nobody. Why is this here? Get rid of it. And um, <laughs> throw it out. Ew. Yeah. So when DVDs first started creeping up in the in the late 90s, I, I remember thinking, is this really going to catch on? And it did. I mean, it surprisingly did. I mean, I I think what really pushed it over the edge were special features and and having all of this extra stuff you could put on a DVD. It just made it so much more enticing than VHS. And um, yeah, I mean, it it, for, for a while there, it felt like DVDs would be around forever too. And then I, the, the churn cycle for DVDs was not nearly as long as VHS. It, it was just more of a, a decade or so. And then we were already looking for the next format. And by that point, streaming was taking over. So Blu-ray never became as ubiquitous as uh, DVD. But yeah. Um, smells. Smells. Smells, yeah. yeah. I'm done talking about smells. We don't need to anymore. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, it, it was this whole weekend kickoff thing that I, I sort of get nostalgic for when you were saying we should do an episode about Blockbuster. This is what I thought of, Mitchell, because mm. I I hadn't really considered how much I kind of missed this, going in to a place like this and selecting my choice for the weekend for, for the next yeah. two days. And then, you know, come Monday morning, my mom would uh, drive it back to the Dropbox en route to work and, and, you know, return it. And then it would be out of your life, all but the memories, uh, at least until the next weekend when maybe you would rent it again. Well, you, you know what I think is really special about the experience of going to a Blockbuster? And this one aspect actually was captured adequately well enough in the Netflix sitcom uh, was the recommendation process. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, because streamers today, you have algorithms that'll say, well, you liked watching this movie or playing this game. You might also like this other thing that is always a really bad thing, but like I can see how you got their algorithm, right? Like, oh, you liked playing Mario Odyssey. Do you want to play... tie the Tasmanian tiger like well no uh but I can I see how you got there (laughs) they are they are uh materially similar experiences enough that I can I can I can see what you're doing but you are still an artificially unintelligent algorithm that is getting some of this stuff wrong uh there okay two two I have two stories here okay uh I have two tandem Parallel stories. One of them took place about 20 years ago. Uh, the other took place 
about one week ago. Um, the the recent one. I went into a GameStop recently. I needed to look through their used games for some Telltale discs. You see, when Telltale went under, uh, a lot of their games became delisted on digital storefronts. But if you can get the physical disc, uh, then, you, you know, those will never just stop existing outright. Yeah. So uh, occasionally GameStops will have some good pulls depending on your location. That Again, it's another locational thing. Uh, so I went in and I saw Minecraft Story Mode Season 1 for PS4 on the shelf. And I said, you know what? Good enough. I'll get it. Uh, and I brought it to the counter. And before I got to the counter, I could overhear that there was like a main clerk tutoring a new clerk, a, a new GameStop employee. Yeah. And the 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 old the more senior of them was saying some shit about okay, so what you got to do is when you, they get to the counter, you got to uh, hit them with a really good recommendation so that they could potentially buy more things, uh, which is like, I know that they do this. It's annoying, but fine. Um, and he was recommending to the new guy, like, okay, so if you don't already have a pretty good grip on like what most games in the store are like, you should, uh, Wikipedia, some of them and, and just look, look them up. And so when I got to the counter, the younger student employee was, doing so he was on wikipedia blasting his knowledge wide open with the miracles of video games and i was talking to the older clerk and i just put minecraft story mode season one for playstation 4 on the counter and he said "Ooh!" and then he gave me a recommendation now based on minecraft story mode season one for playstation 4 heil i'll give you a guess what do you think that clerk recommended me Mitchell, why are you asking me? Why, why would I know? Why on earth would I know the answer to that? Well, okay. So imagine all the things you could recommend here. You see, okay, it's a Telltale game. Maybe they want to play a different Telltale game. We probably have The Walking Dead. That's a more well-known, more well-liked Telltale game. And it's uh, there's a version of it that is newer, so I can probably sell it to them full price. I would believe that. Or... Hey, it's Minecraft. I could probably say, hey, are you interested in any other like Minecraft skews? Do you want to play the, the regular game or Minecraft Dungeons? I could recommend that. Guy recommended because it's a PS4 game, God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> this guy, this was the mentor of the two of them. Uh-huh. He, he struck out. I mean, I, I won't say he struck out because I am actually pretty interested in playing that game. Uh, but from Minecraft story mode, just cause it's on the same system. Yeah. This is, it's one of the weakest recommendations of all time. Yeah. I, I was going to go outside the box and I, I was going to say like maybe cause it was, it was Minecraft recommended Roblox for like the Xbox one sure, or something. I would get that even. Yeah, yeah. I would like, there's, there's something there. What you're trying to do when you do that is say like, Hey, if you actually like this, there is something that I, a human who is not a computer, can equate to in another video game. Sure. That, like, that, that is why I work at this store. <laughs> that, that is why you, you are a GameStop uh, professional recommender of games at me. 20 years ago, second part of this tale of two shitties, 
I went to Super Video Rentals store, maybe it was called that, potentially, and it was around 2001 or two. I knew I wanted to rent Paper Mario. And by the way, Paper Mario, uh, it, it's interesting that you said that you uh, rented Super Mario RPG, because to me, the, the game that I always think of, I never owned Paper Mario. Mm-hmm. I just rented a, a lot. And because I was often getting a different cartridge, I didn't get the save file that I had yeah. last time. So I would be starting... O- I know the first couple hours of Paper Mario very well. Um, but I, I really wanted to rent Paper Mario. I was excited about it. Uh, it, it From my perspective, it was a game unlike anything I had played. Uh, so I walk in there and I see it on the shelf, which is good. Sometimes they don't have it. But I grab it and... I'm very young at this point. I'm like seven, uh, nine, some. I'm in <laughs> elementary school, um, and there's a guy whose name I couldn't possibly know at this point, but based on his appearance, which I do remember, it was probably Scott. Um, it just looks like an, a Scott. Employee. Or did he smell oh, like a? This Scott? guy looked like a. This guy looked like a Scott. Okay. Um, and. He he was in his probably mid twenties to me as a kid seemed much older but now I'm thinking like probably early twenties yeah um, and he, he he had all the appearance of of a uh, a radical nineties burnout mm-hmm. and he goes uh, dude you're renting Paper Mario and I go yeah I'm really excited about it and he goes if you like Paper Mario you know what game you should play Dragon Warrior Four for the NES. Now, <laughs> wow n- now now this is a very different situation yeah. than god of war ragnarok yeah. as it being uh minecraft story mode because at the time i was thinking i can't even connect these that's a different system uh i don't know what dragon warrior is i would you know later find out that it's dragon quest and it's an rpg uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and paper mario is an rpg so that's not like crazy but i I did not take his advice. I did not rent Dragon Warrior 4. That's, that's, I have now, the, in, yeah. in my current age, played Dragon Quest 4. And he was absolutely on the money. He's 100% right. If you like Paper Mario, you'll probably get a kick out of Dragon Quest 4. Sure. And it, it's, it's that weird burnout calculus that can only be done by people named Scott that is completely absent in the age of the streaming service. My sister, who I, I brought up earlier, who called me old and, and said I would like the Blockbuster show because of, of that, uh, I was trying to insist to her what Netflix really needs is a guy like Scott who will give you bad recommendations and just make you watch things. Mm. Uh, because the algorithm is both too good and not good enough to really speak to the human emotion. Like someone who does not take into account that you're renting a Nintendo 64 game and then <laughs> recommends an NES game. Uh, that it, It's that person who's going to get it some something really heartful, really soulful in the video game recommendation process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think th- this is... This also provided an outlet for people who viewed themselves as connoisseurs of sure, entertainment yeah. where pre-internet or or at least before you know everybody had 
a blog or a website or then eventually a YouTube channel or, or TikTok, this, this would provide them a way to indulge their passion and monetize it. In this case, a paycheck from Blockbuster. They could, they could sit behind the counter and give recommendations and dazzle people with their vast knowledge. And yeah, you, you lose that when you just make it, uh, this, this automated AI program that just, reduces you to uh, a statistic and says oh you like this well other people who like this like this there you go yeah 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 that's it's it's a good Um, point yeah there's a there's a wired video that came out a little while ago with malcolm gladwell answering like twitter questions and someone asked him like hey who goes to the library in 2022 and he gave a pretty i think standard ish scholarly uh, defense of the public library. And I, I, a person watching that who admittedly does not go to the public library, uh, was watching that video and going, yeah, you know, I get it. I mean, sure. And then he brought up something really interesting, which is that like, if you're in, interested in doing research only on the internet, you are a mostly going to get things from like after the year 2000, um, which is kind of hard to get around. Uh, but B you're doing directed search, which means that you need to know what you don't know uh, in, in order to find something out on the internet. And if you go to a library, you can do a lot of good serendipitous search uh, and, and learn what you don't know that you don't know. Uh, because there's just information in front of you. It, it's just around you. You can look around and see, hey, did you know there was this game, Dragon Warrior 4? And if I were looking that up on the internet, I wouldn't know, is there a game called Dragon Warrior 4? I would never type that because why would I, if I don't know about the game, why would I ever write it? Uh, and, and I think that these old rental shops are kind of the encapsulation of that spirit, of, of that For sure. like serendipitous search. You might not know that you'll like whatever video game that was on the shelf, but it, if it was on the shelf and had a cool enough box art That's with it. maybe a sword and, or a motorcycle, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm going to be more knowledgeable about it than I would have been otherwise. When, when I think about the widespread of NES and SNES games that I have played in my life and how it completely f- runs counter to how I consume games now, you know, me, me being Mr. DK Vine, but just also the reality of the infrastructure we have in 2022. You know, you, you just mentioned cool box art. And right before you said that, I was thinking it was all about the cool box art. Sometimes you'd go in with oh, yeah. your, your family. And I remember we rented Bubble Bobble uh, for, for the NES. And we just rented that on the strength of the box art. Well, that looks fun and quirky. And we didn't really like it. But you know what? We played it, and I'm glad I played it. I would have never played that game, uh, you know, in in a in a contemporary setting if the circumstances were what they are today. So, Ma- Malcolm Gladwell is absolutely spot on right here. Yeah, he's a professional quote maker, getting it right one more time. <laughs>
I I don't know. I don't have an opinion on Malcolm Gladwell. He seems good. I don't know. I don't know. He, I don't know. I I yeah. He he I, he might be. I didn't read of, his stuff. He might be so. a piece of shit. I I don't know. If we, we might want to steer clear of definitive statements on Malcolm Gladwell. I think he's good. Okay. I think I I haven't heard anything bad about Malcolm Gladwell. I think I would have. I think he has stupid hair. Last I remember. That might not be his fault. That could be genetic. No, I think he styles it stupidly. You think so? I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. You heard, you heard it here first. That's the definitive take on Malcolm Gladwell from DK Vine, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, looking back, even, even relating to my Donkey Kong obsession and how ultimately ruinous it was being... Uh, a well-played journeyman of video games, I still owe all of that to Blockbuster because, hey, it's where I first got to play Donkey Kong Country. You know, I I, I look back and obviously the commercials for Donkey Kong Country caught my eye when I first saw them early November 94. And it was right up my alley because I, of course, had played Donkey Kong Classics I owned Donkey Kong Classics for the Nintendo Entertainment System, and I played the the truncated version of Donkey Kong on it and Donkey Kong Jr., and I liked Gorillas. I, I liked primates. That was my thing. Um, my favorite animals. So to have a game where I could play as Donkey Kong, where Donkey Kong was the hero, it was all about Donkey Kong. And you're romping through natural environments. And oh my god, it looked incredible. This is for the Super Nintendo? So so of course I was going to rent this first opportunity in late November 94. And, you know, I, I've, I've told this story so many times on the conversation. I'm not going to tell it again. But when I got it home and I, and I played it, and normally I would, you know, really put on a show... For, for my parents to convince them that, hey, maybe this is going to be a worthwhile purchase. I didn't have to do it with this game. But my mom was clearly seeing how enamored of it I was. And so she then got got it for me that Christmas. I didn't even have to ask for it. It was just waiting for me. It, it, was, it was destiny. And it was because of Blockbuster. Because I was able to just take it home for the weekend. And yeah, I mean, it, it definitely for better or for worse, probably worse, changed the course of my life. So I wouldn't be here right now talking to you, Mitchell, if it wasn't for that fateful trip to Blockbuster one November on a Friday in 1994. Well, I'm glad for that. I'm glad I'm glad Blockbuster could sort us out. You know, it, I have to I have to bring something up though, relating to Donkey Kong Country and Blockbuster. I would be at fault if I didn't. There is a unique version of Donkey Kong Country. We talked about that Clay Fighter exclusive version. Right, There, yeah. there was a unique version of Donkey Kong Country produced for the Blockbuster World Video Game Championship number two, which I guess is something they did. They, they did in partnership with Nintendo, which is amazing to me that, what, five years after they went to court, they're working together. But that's capitalism for you. Uh, make strange bedfellows of so many, but they uh, they they made this competition cartridge, right? Where it, it's a uh, amended version of Donkey Kong Country that 
has a point counter, which completely flies in the face of Greg Mayle's design philosophy, but whatever. And it has a, I believe, 10, or no, five minute. It, I think it, I think it's something ridiculous, like five minute time limit on it. And the whole point of it is to see how many levels you can get through in the five minutes and, and maybe how much, uh, how, mu- how much in the way of points you can rack up. Right. So I think there, there's only a, a select number of levels stretching through the first four worlds of the game. And then after five minutes, the game freezes, it locks up. And then the whole point is to see how far you got and what your score is. That is the competition. And, and they they mass produced something like 2,000 and some change, 2,500 copies of this. And then they would later sell it through the Nintendo Power Supplies catalog uh, once this was done, once Blockbuster was done with this. And, you know, I had no interest in ever getting this because this is just Donkey Kong Country, but worse. And I never viewed it as an official thing. But... I have to admit, looking back now, I'm kind of kicking myself that I never sought it out in the early days of eBay when you could probably pick this up for relatively cheap. Uh, because let me tell you, it's not relatively cheap these days. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I'm looking up for the price. Yeah. Competition cart. Uh, Donkey Kong Country competition cart. Uh, ooh, it's, Etsy has ruined this, by the Etsy way. Has, Etsy yes. has ruined the process of finding out how expensive something is. Because you can just buy a, a, a very convincing frig, fridge magnet for $18. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Um, seeing one for 8000 8000 yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where, you know, um, ba- back in the day, you could probably get it for around 60 or so on eBay. Yeah. Oh, and it only has eleven dollars shipping on that. Oh, well, that's a that's a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I am kicking myself because that would be a nice little you know collectible to have. But uh, you know what? Live live and learn. Live and learn. Um, I don't make cool versions of games for one off things anymore. I can't think of the last time they've ever done that. Yeah, it's it's weird to me. And and now with these, you know collector mindsets because again like i never sought this out on ebay because i never thought video game collecting would become this very very financially fraudulent hobby that it is mm-hmm. where where they they've just turned it into like baseball cards or comic books where where they artificially inflate the price on something uh because of us scarcity or or implied importance yeah. but but it's it's so much worse than baseball cards or comic books because like the culture around video games was bigger than the culture around baseball cards yeah. or comic books that now that these people are adults it's just it's just wild it's just wild people are going too hard in every aspect of it because pokemon cards are related to pokemon now pokemon cards are impossible to buy only a few years ago, only like five or six years ago, a holographic Charizard, one of the most sought after cards would be like a couple hundred dollars online. And I would see that and I'd think, wow, that's, that's a whole lot of money for one Pokemon card. And now it's, uh, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the condition. 
things things are just things are capitalism's hard yeah i'm just tired you know kyle <laughs> I, I can't say i'm a fan of it you know i i'm tired too i i really am uh but oh well you know things were simpler back then when we had blockbuster yeah you make sure to buy your star wars games full price though that's just that's my only like two cents <laughs> oh okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't i don't know why i said that it's just like just a weird thought no, that came over me. yeah yeah just you, random you, you, have, you have no personal stakes in that whatsoever it just came came to your mind and you had to say it yeah just <laughs> just just something that kind of bubbled to the surface very uh sneakily so Heil, if you were a if you were a GameStop employee, if I was a GameStop employee, okay. If you were a GameStop employee in, in the modern era, but like I, I guess we're 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 hearkening it back to the era of the rental shop. Uh, if you were a rental shop employee, and I I came to the register, and I've got Super Mario sixty four. Okay, so so uh, so this is nineteen ninety six, or is this two thousand twenty two? This this is nineteen ninety late. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got Super Mario sixty four. It's the Nintendo sixty four era still. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm maybe seven. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how old I am. <laughs> All right. But I I bring you this, and uh, you you are now contractually obligated to say, hey, by the way, sure. Did you check out? This other game, what would you tell me? Well, obviously Banjo Kazooie. I mean that that would yeah, be good. the obvious answer, especially coming from me, because it would be honest and authentic. I wouldn't have to be selling you on anything. It would come from that's an, too easy. It would come from an actual place of enthusiasm. True, true, true. Okay, what if what if I had Seaman? <laughs> what if I had Seaman for Dreamcast? Wait, wait yeah, let, let's let's yeah clarify Seaman. You're saying Seaman. For Dreamcast, yeah. you're you're not saying. What mm-hmm. if I had Seaman? I could play this game forever. Like, what if I, what if I had Seaman, Hyle? What would you recommend me? Oh boy, um, for Dreamcast, you say? God, that's 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 a, that's a tough one because no, there's nothing comparable to Seaman for Dreamcast. I know yeah. that much. Um, maybe maybe in a couple years, uh, like Animal Crossing. Yeah. I, I don't even know what would be that weird and off-putting. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> not 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 a source of great conversation there, where you just throw up uh, a brick wall and be like, "Whoa, what what if I had this thing that there's no way to build off of this and go." <laughs> Maybe maybe you just go like, hey, you like Sega's weird side. You know about Crazy Taxi? You know about... Y- y- have you seen how blue the sky is in these Dreamcast games? It's the bluest you could be. It's like 0000FF blue. <laughs> wow, you know the hex code and everything. Oh, I, I speak hex. Yeah. yeah, I dated this witch once. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, M- Mitchell, <laughs> let's let's put ourselves back in the minds of the consumer roaming these rental shops. What what were sure. some other fond memories you have from this era? Because fond memories or 
upsetting, upsetting rental choices that you're like, oh, that didn't turn out how I wanted it to be. Because you would, like, you would get this. It yeah, would be all wine yeah. and roses. You would be taking a gamble every time you uh, stride it up to the, the counter with, with your, your selection for the week. Because I rented, as, as I just mentioned when Cameron and I talked about Star Fox Adventures and its 20th anniversary, I rented the original Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. I was so ready for this game. I was on board. I, I This was going to be like my franchise, I decided. This was about a year before Donkey Kong Country, a year and a half before Donkey Kong Country. And I was like, this is it. This is going to be the video game franchise I grow old with. Because uh, I thought it looked incredible. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I was ready. I took it home. And I didn't enjoy it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I would later fall in love with Star Fox 64, right? But the original Star Fox just didn't sync up with me. Yeah, it it's tricky because those that that time period was not necessarily known for horribly accessible games uh you would get a lot of things that it's not even a matter of quality it would be just a matter of if you bang your head against this for an hour or two you'll start to understand how the controls work how the systems work and then you're in but it, it, with with such a seemingly fleeting experience as a blockbuster game rental you're not necessarily going to do that if you give it an hour and a half and you're not in there it's kind of you're just you can say no you don't have to do that with a game you buy but you can you can do that with a game that you uh have a much lower financial attachment to i remember i think star fox 64 actually it's it's interesting that that was the the example i rented that and i was i was probably just too young to get it like get what is happening on the screen uh when i'm losing damage or losing health uh and i feel like the things i'm attacking aren't dying what's even going on why did falco just die he's not even me (laughs) Uh, wow that's that's a very self-centered view of the world there (laughs) mitchell (laughs) well it was it was i think probably the first video game i played where there was an ancillary assistant character Mm. that could themselves take damage and die like i don't even you're asking me to think about multiple characters now and this is before pikmin asked me to do it with 100 at once and i'm i'm struggling with just being fox and then there's a bird somewhere that i need to think about uh like that that was one of those things where uh people were saying all the time at the time oh dude Star Fox 64, that's the cool kids game. Like, because everyone would agree pretty much at that time. Ocarina of Time was what was going on. That was like the new wave of video game design. And then like one year before that, Final Fantasy VII was was, uh, very, very popular. And around the same time as Ocarina of Time, of course, just in terms of pop culture, you got Pokemon, right? But then just as there are now during that time, those things seemed kind of mainstream and poppy and Star Fox was also, but Star Fox was like, Oh dude, but you can be a cool guy. If you play Star Fox, you can be, it, it's a, it's a little bit cooler than, uh, than just playing Zelda. Like, like Mr. Miyamoto wants you to. 
<laughs> Stick it to the man. Play some Star Fox that he also that, wants you to yeah, play. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, I just I wasn't I wasn't cool enough. I felt uncool for my on my inability to uh digest Star Fox 64. You know, sometimes you would be handed a game that you didn't enjoy or you weren't good at, but the luck of the draw with renting a game from Blockbuster is, you know, they wouldn't delete the save data when people were would return yeah. the game. So occasionally, if if a game had, you know, battery back saving and, you know, had multiple save files, you could pick a save file and see pretty far in the game. Even if you were terrible at it, you could maybe you know, jump ahead, get a preview of the scary times to come. At, without doing all of the work for it. And that would always be a fun thing to see the progress made by the people who had the game before you. And gr- granted, like, usually it wouldn't be that impressive. I, I would get a game and I'd be like, wow, the person who had this game before me was terrible at this, even worse than me. Uh, Yeah, I w- it, it was always a, a crapshoot. You could get... A, a version of an RPG with a save right at the end, or you could get a completely blank slate, and it, it seemed equally likely every time. Yeah, I, I man, I just like renting games. It was a good time. Yeah, I, that's all I'm thinking about right now. I just liked it. I, you know, I, I also rented an N64 from Blockbuster before I owned the mm. N64 because you could rent consoles from there that's a baller move i i never did that that seemed for some reason that almost seemed more price prohibitive than the idea of saving up for a console i i think Uh, like there's a culture about ooh, you you rented the whole machine wow yeah i think from what i remember you would have to put a down payment and you would get that money back if you returned it you know in one piece or whatever but Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I rented an N64 from Blockbuster for the weekend, um, and just as kind of like doing that proof of concept thing, even though at that point, you know, it was, it was well established that I would enjoy a Nintendo 64, but this was more of a, a I, I think a way for my parents to placate me, the interim between the N64 coming out and me saving up enough money for an N64, it would kind of break the fever just long enough to to get us by because I wasn't going to get one that holiday season, nor did I want one quite yet because it wasn't like there was a Donkey Kong game out for it yet. But Donkey Kong had been announced for Mario Kart 64, so I needed to get one by February of 97. So, yeah, we rented it in late 96, and I, I remember, like, I, I think I rented Super Mario 64 and Cruisin' USA, Cruising. Mm, I remember renting Cruise in USA. Yeah, that one was a disappointment. But I remember my dad was excited about Cruise in USA because you know it was about cars. It wasn't about uh, goofy. What a goofy perfect shit. rentable game, Cruise in USA. Yeah, uh, but but my distinctive memory was trying to hook up the Nintendo sixty four for the first time to our television and uh not getting it right my my dad was having trouble figuring it out and eventually uh he turned the tv on like he, he changed the, the setting on it and a car commercial came on and he thought that was cruise in usa he was like <laughs> I, I i i distinctly remember he said oh is this it did we get it and i was like dad this is a car commercial and he was like well we don't know 
As if. As if. <laughs> That's so good. It was an open book. It was a mystery. Well, we're just, let's just we'll just wait this out. Let's see. Your dad was kind of right. You didn't know. Well, I was pretty certain, considering I knew what Cruising USA looked like, and I knew as impressive as the N64 was to me in 96... I also knew that it wasn't quite up to the standards of a Lexus commercial or, or whatever this was. So, oh, I was proven right. It was not Cruising USA. We did get it. It's, it's interesting that you rented Mario with this. And the the answer to is this car commercial Cruising USA isn't just, I don't know, try Mario. You're not going to find a commercial that looks like Mario. Yeah, I, I but yeah, I, I, I think Cruising USA was the safer bet. For, for, like, getting my dad to, like, stick around and, and watch this new video game mm. console. I wanted an audience, Mitchell. I always need an audience, mm-hmm. whether it's it's talking about Donkey Kong or playing video games or sex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Been there. Yeah. So. Trust me, I have. <laughs> I also got... My Virtual Boy case and quite a bit of my Virtual Boy library uh, from Blockbuster when they liquidated their Virtual Boy stock sometime in 1997. I um, I, I didn't get my Virtual Boy itself at Blockbuster. But yeah, like like about a week after I got my Virtual Boy, which I, I got on sale because they were also getting rid of them in stores. Blockbuster was getting rid of them and... They were like selling uh, a, a wide selection of Virtual Boy games, so I, I picked up like three or four. And then the the clerk, uh, the the Blockbuster employee, was like, "Hey, we've got this Virtual Boy carrying case that we would give when people would rent the Virtual Boy. Uh, you can just have that for free." Whoa! Yeah, cool so, guy, Blockbuster. Yeah, I I still have my Virtual Boy case. Uh, it, it's it's a hard plastic case that says virtual boy on the side and you open it up and and you it's it's like it's like professional camera equipment would be carried in or or maybe a an assassin's uh rifle it's it's pretty impressive and um yeah so i I still have that i've got it right right to my side here actually i've got my uh rareware plush pillow just laying against it because i'm a slob at the moment but anyway um yeah, Blockbuster provided me my uh, my Virtual Boy house that it still lives in to this day. What a, what a nice thing for Jimmy Blockbuster to do. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah, Scott, Scott yeah, but, was uh, feeling very generous that day. I mean, you know, they didn't have any use for it, and they couldn't really sell it, and they were just going to throw them true. out, so why not give it to a child? That's the whole thing I miss about being a child, Mitchell, is people doing nice things for me. Well, that's what I miss about real life places <laughs> uh, <laughs> right yeah where, because in, in a regular store the idea that sometimes every once in a while don't count on it but you could get more than you bargained for literally yeah. and just leave with some extra cool stuff uh, because you had a moment you had an experience and if you're in that town in the midwest that that game facts guy was maybe lying about but potentially telling the truth about Maybe you left with Earthbound, and you didn't even know that was something that could happen. And uh, it so much of the streaming system that we have in place now is great. It's so good that I can just download entire massive games from the comfort of my own 
uh, home office slash entertainment center slash bedroom slash bathroom, I need to move. Uh, but I can stay there and just download a, a brand new huge game for for pennies on the dollar, depending on how much I play it and uh, how much I'm paying per month. That's great. I'm not trying to say it's worse than it used to be. Uh, but the curation, Heil, the curation isn't there. The idea that... Uh, I, I, something that, uh, again, I think the, the blockbuster Netflix show accidentally did pretty good, maybe, uh, was the focus on... Uh, like, one of the episodes, they, they have this shelf where like a local townies uh who, who a local townie who's who's known for movie reviews all his stuff is his his like good reviews of the month or whatever are on this shelf uh so oh this person recommended this movie you should check it out uh blockbuster had that with games as well where just again someone whose name is definitely probably Scott would say oh this is Scott's shelf uh Scott really liked NHL 1994 uh okay scott that's cool i don't know i'm not i'm not gonna rent it but i really like that kind of personal touch to being proposed a recommendation because if you're in the blockbuster looking at games you're probably going to leave with a game it was never a matter of making you rent more games that kind of recommendation is actually from the heart, from the employees who maybe just needed something to do with their time, but were putting together some recommendations, mostly just because you might actually like them. And uh, everything in the PlayStation Store or the Xbox Store or the Nintendo eShop, I understand why it is this way. It's not necessarily in and of itself that bad of a thing, but uh, anytime you're seeing something featured... I, you you know it's an advertisement, right? Uh, for money, and you know that it's actually taking shelf space away from other things rather than just being promoted individually. And uh, you you don't get the sense that there it was a choice made by one individual who had a preference and had a preference because they kind of live and breathe this stuff. You you get the the cho- the sense that it, it was an, a marketing decision, and you know marketing makes these games exist marketing is the reason that video games have continued into the 21st century i'm not going to slag off marketing i think it's a lazy thing to do to just say that advertising is bad across the board and then still like the things that the advertisements are for that's not fun that's not cool it doesn't really take into account how these things are made but the idea that sometimes there was a shelf where one guy would really try hard to say like it's not just like a normal sports game. NHL 94 is a specific kind of hockey that you're not going to get anywhere else. It's a cool, it's more like an action game if you think about it. That guy is off his rocker trying to recommend that to me. And we need more of him in in the world of games downloading. I agree. And that's sort of just the problem because, yeah, there is no outlet for that anymore. Yeah, like... I've got a website, right? I, I've got a little little mm-hmm. tiny web empire. Very small, but whatever. I sit upon my throne. And I I can recommend, oh, I really like this game. I really like that game. But it's only going to reach people who are seeking that out. Seeking me out. Seeking yeah. out 
DK Vine and, and that's kind of stuff. I'm not reaching Joe Q public out there who's just looking for something and then my, maybe is swayed by this weirdo, i.e. me, talking about something like a demon turf uh you know it, it's it's just not gonna happen in this day and age so it's a shame you know but i you know as much as we can slag that slag off on blockbuster that they did not evolve with the times and, and they they failed to capitalize on how we'd all be living in the early 21st century even if they had uh, bought Netflix in the year 2000 as they had the chance to, or you know, figured out how to compete with it by 2007. Blockbuster itself would still fundamentally change, right? That this whole brick and mortar mm-hmm. store yeah. would still probably fall by the wayside. Blockbuster would be around as a brand like Netflix now, but it would still be fundamentally different than what we're reminiscing about on this episode. So. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a shame that Blockbuster, this, this, uh, this, this warm and friendly corporation that we all have nostalgic memories for, uh, didn't see the future fast enough, but it still wouldn't be the same Blockbuster now, would it? So, I don't know, with, with video game streaming and all the various ways to access game libraries on home Mm -hmm. consoles or PCs, you know, the, the culture around the video rental store is nothing more than a nostalgic memory. Oh, sure, you might have a, a local establishment still in your town. You you might still be able to experience it here or there, but it's not this ubiquitous, universal experience anymore that we can all relate to. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, though. I wouldn't trade the convenience of what we have today for... No, yeah, like, I... I won't say that it's worse today. There are aspects that I think we have lost and those sections of the experience are worse. Yeah. But we we have a lot of pluses today. I'm not going to look at the entire concept of downloading games and turn my nose up. Right. I I think maybe it was the pandemic that when the when the pandemic happened and it stripped away so much of our day-to-day routine. Like mm-hmm. like Everything went away at once. And yeah. the, the way we physically interacted with our world and the culture that sort of built up around that, when that was all removed, I think it started to make me more reflective of what we had already lost in the years prior to that. And so, yeah, I, I started thinking back to Blockbuster and, and the Friday night ritual. And, it you know, it made trying out games feel special it made it feel like it it was uh, a little special event and it made i don't know sampling everything feel less ephemeral and and more something to savor and um i don't i don't think future generations will ever get that back you know i i was thinking about like okay the 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 joke answer is you got to digitize a man named Scott and put him into Netflix. And uh, if you watch Requiem for a Dream, he'll be like, you should probably like The Hangover. And you have to look at Scott in the corner of the screen and remember, oh, yeah, he was good at this, but he was mostly wrong. <laughs> he was good, but wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I forgot how that works. I Scott, I'm not just going to watch The Hangover. And you mostly ignore him, but he's like always there in the corner of the screen. That's like the, the joke thing you can't do. But maybe what you can do, and I would love to see this going forward, someone, Steam has like some of this a little bit, but I believe the consoles have nothing like this, where maybe well-known games critics, games reviewers, games publications... Or even just anyone, uh, but I think most people would be drawn to the more well-known people's uh, profiles for this. Maybe you can get on the store and say, like, okay, uh, I would like to basically make my personal shelf of Xbox games so that anyone who's thinking, like, oh, what, what would uh, this person that maybe I trust, what would they recommend? Uh, and you put up three new picks every month and you just cycle through and you say, I think you should probably play Curse of the Golden Idol. And you'd be, I don't know what that is, but the reviewer can write a little blurb and uh, make a little profile page, maybe choose a fun image to put in the background of it. Uh, that I would love to see that functionality come to uh, shops. I would love to see that kind of uh, it's not a user review because user reviews live on the game's page, which kind of sucks. I don't think the game should have to deal with negative Nancy's of any stripe or color um, getting upset or like, well, I didn't figure out how to get it past the press start screen. So I'm going to dock you one out of five stars. Right. Um, there was somebody in this game who wasn't white or a man. One <laughs> yeah. star. This action game actually starred a woman, so I'm going to go ahead and bleach it out. Uh, but if you had, like, not on the games page, again, the games don't need that kind of responsibility added to what they're already trying to do, which is hard. Uh, but if they had their own page, the like, you, Heil Russell, you had your own uh, Xbox page where you could say, I don't know, I think you should try Sea of Thieves. And people could be like, oh, I, I trust Heil. What's he, what's he saying this month? That'd be cool. That would be a cool system. Oh, he's still and saying. I, I don't know why we're not doing month? that. Oh, oh, that's what he's he said still last month. This month? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, no. Well, that, that's a great point, Mitchell. I, I, I really like that. I, I've got a, a good point to to close out this episode on. I'd love that. Yeah. I love that. You, you know what I miss? Hmm. We're talking about personal touches. I miss mm-hmm. the risk. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Mm. So because you know. You know mm-hmm. that people probably took those legitimate instruction manuals that Blockbuster was forced to buy in their settlement with Nintendo. They probably took them when they rented a game into the bathroom. And they probably read them while they were pooping, or depending on who they were, coming all over. And, and, and they probably got some of it on the instruction manual and then they would put it back in the case they would put it in the overnight Dropbox, and then one week later you would get your grubby hands on it and you would touch it and you would probably smell it because we like to smell things and who knows who knows somebody's kink out there is probably shoving vhs cassettes up their entire butt and, and wiggling around and and going you know about their day 
with uh with with the latest uh Hollywood hit on home video inside the rectum and then they would uh they would take it out and they put it back in the case and they would smug so satisfied knowing how much they got off to it and uh I miss I miss that danger this has been a file 2 production Qué rico.